as deep as our sorrows can be, there is no place that Jesus can't get to with his grace. And lament is part of the spiritual means. Think of it like a a portal, if you will, through which God's able to pour out really special grace upon us. Welcome to the Hope and Help Project, the podcast that cultivates compassionate biblical conversations about life's challenging problems. I'm your host, Christine Chaplin. I'm so glad you're here to join in on today's conversation with author and pastor Mark Rogop. Today, we'll be talking about the topic of lament, learning how this God-given language offers the brokenhearted Christian hope and help for life's sorrowful seasons. If this is your first time listening to the show, be sure to learn more about the Hope and Help Project by visiting faithfulsparrow.com forward slash project. The link is posted in the show description, and by visiting that page, you can learn all about the mission of the podcast. Before we get started, let me introduce you to our guest. Mark is the lead pastor of College Park Church in Indianapolis. He is a contributor to 15 Things Seminary Couldn't Teach Me and the author of Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy, Discovering the Grace of Lament. Along with his weekly pulpit and leadership ministry, Mark is also a conference speaker, a member of the Gospel Coalition Council, and a trustee at Cedarville University. He and his wife, Sarah, are the parents of four living children and a stillborn daughter. Hey, Mark, thanks so much for joining us today. Christine, it's great to be with you. I'm so excited to have this conversation about a really important topic, the subject of lament. And your new book, Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy, really introduces the concept and the practice of lament to Christians and the grace that is found by crying out to God through lament. But before we talk about what lament is and how it can be a helpful, fruitful way for a brokenhearted Christian to respond to their grief, would you share a little bit more about the events in your life that God used to help you steer towards learning that language of lament? Yeah, I'm happy to because, uh, you know, there are things that happen in our lives that we can look at with some distance and see that they are indeed hard providences. They're hard, but we see how God has used them to shape us. And that really is the case with uh, what happened to my wife and myself in 2004 after having three healthy children that were born into our home, including a um, set of twins, uh, 2004. Just a few days before delivery, uh, our unborn daughter, her heart stopped beating, and so she was stillborn at the time. Uh, we didn't know anything was wrong, and her stillbirth is still to this day unexplained officially. There's no cause. Um, and so that sent us into a uh, extended season of um, just sorrow and grief, both pastoring a church and trying to deal with my own sorrow and that of my wife and my kids. And then additionally to that, we had a, a multiple miscarriages and a blighted ovum, which is kind of a false positive pregnancy. Um, and then we conceived again and eventually, praise God, gave birth to another daughter named Savannah, but her pregnancy was just as fearful because how do you know this one isn't going to end uh, with a stillbirth too? And so in that process, we just began noticing as we're trying to deal with our own grief and trying to help pastor uh, people in our church that just seemed like there was something missing in the conversation, the experience, and the process of our grieving. 
And I came to discover through the course of about a 10-year journey that what was missing was lament. And I didn't really even know what I was doing at the time. I was, in fact, lamenting and began to see the way in which uh, both my experience of it and needing a category that was more defined uh, was both helpful and then also uh, alarming in the sense that there was so much more to learn. So I set on a journey to learn more about the subject of lament, began teaching on it at my church, and uh, people just came out of the woodwork, and the book came out of uh, just conversations with people, some experiences, and just also the sort of hard uh, difficulties of trying to survive when you're walking through gut-wrenching sorrow. Well, I'm I'm just so sorry. You know, I read that story in the book and I you know, just was really grieved about the trials that you and your wife had to go through with the loss of your daughter and, and the miscarriages. And I can definitely resonate, too, with what you said about having these crying out to God moments. I think your book really helped us to understand that the Bible doesn't just say, hey, cry out to God, but it actually says, here's how you'd go about doing it uh, in a way that really can provide that grace that you're needing in that moment. You write early on in your grief journey that it became clear that well-meaning comforters didn't really know how to join you fully in that grieving process. And I think that's unfortunately a very true experience for people who are in periods of suffering and sorrow. Uh, one of our guests on the show, Zach Eswine, he asked the question, why is it that we have a hard time weeping with those who weep? And he even goes as far to say that oftentimes our rash responses to grief and sorrow result in the stealing of other people's tears. What do you think, at least in the context of 21st century American culture, why do you think we have such a hard time entering into another one's pains and griefs in a way that isn't trite or impatient? Yeah, I think a couple reasons for that, and there's probably many more, but I think one, there's a theological reason, and that is that grief reminds us that something's wrong with the world. It reminds us that we are uh, finite human beings and that there are things in life that we cannot control. And so I think grief is scary. So when someone else is deeply grieving, we want it to be over. Uh, when our grief is uh, right in the front of uh, our purview, we, we want it to be over as well. I just remember having really like deep, deep soul frightening thoughts of what happens if I feel this way for a long period of time because it did not feel sustainable. And so I think we're we're just just straight out afraid of grief because of all of its implications, how uncomfortable it is. I think the other reason, more of a cultural issue, is that, you know, kind of in this American Western, particularly within white evangelicalism, um, this spirit of, you know, the sun's always going to come up. Um, we're always looking for the the triumph of what's next. Recessions go away. You know, things always get better. We just have to be optimistic and hopeful that we're not accustomed to long and lingering um, difficulties, sorrows as a as a culture, and we're impatient with those things. And I think that bleeds into how we experience. Uh, Christianity in our culture and even how we express it, uh, our singing, our preaching, our praying. Uh, we're, we are not familiar with the minor key sound. In fact, I remember a, a, my worship pastor at my last church, somebody told him that it, it was uh, unbiblical to sing minor key songs in church. <laughs> and little did the brother realize that a third of the Psalms are written in the minor key. People sang these 
Psalms of Lament. So I think those are, that's a few um, uh, reasons. Uh, maybe one more is just personal people don't know what to say, and they don't know that it's okay to be quiet, to be present, and just to simply express their solidarity with the person as they're walking through grief. So they try and find something pithy to say, and most of the time those things just aren't helpful. I think you do a real great job in the book addressing that issue and really acknowledging our collective struggle as Christians to respond to painful circumstances in God-oriented ways. You encourage followers of Christ to really ask God to open their hearts and minds to the language of biblical lament really as a means of processing those very real, imminent sufferings that we we will experience in this life. You write that lament is how you live between the poles of a hard life and trusting God's sovereignty. Would you unpack that observation for us, giving us a bit more insight about what lament is and how it helps us to move toward a deeper worship of God? Sure. You know, lament, as I define it in the book, is a prayer in pain that leads to trust. So when you think about lament as uh, a language that takes us on a journey and more than just like the stages of grief, what lament does is it helps us to know what to say when we are kind of stuck in a position where two things are equally true at the same time. Uh, First, uh, I know that God is good. I know that to be true. But secondly, this is really hard. And so I think that many people think that Christianity is simply acknowledging the first truth, God is really good, at the neglect of the second. And I think that's not the way that real Christians live. I think instead what happens is people then, they go to church and they live in like two ditches, uh, a ditch of despair where they're just like, I can't do this. Um, Maybe I'm not even a Christian because I feel this way. Or on the other hand, it's the ditch of denial where they're just like, no, everything's fine. We're trusting the Lord. And behind the scenes, they're they're in a tough spot. So when I say that, that lament is how we live between the poles of a hard life and trusting in God's sovereignty, I'm trying to capture there that grief is not only not tame, but there are often things in grief that are irreconcilable. And those two realities are, this is really hard, but I know that God is good. And so lament helps us to know what to say when that's the path that God has asked us to walk upon. That's a really great explanation. And I think it's just so helpful to bring clarity to the topic as a whole. Uh, You know, so you just explained what biblical lament is to the listeners. And I think it's also reasonable, too, to approach this topic with a word of caution. And you talk about this in your book, because as with any kind of wisdom presented in the scriptures, we can easily morph and twist it into something that it is not condoning. And so that being said, can you offer us clarity about what biblical lament is not? What doesn't it look like? What is the difference between lament modeled in the Bible versus complaining, anger towards God, bitterness in response to our painful circumstances? It's a great question. I think it's a really wise caution because you could take this concept of lament and particularly one of the four key ingredients of lament is complaint. In fact, lament isn't lament without some sort of complaint. And by that, complaint is I'm laying out the reality of what my burden is. I'm talking to God honestly about what I'm feeling and also what is so troubling to me. And that's the gift of lament, that you can lay out your complaints, but it's also um, the risk. And that is that you could spiritualize your self-centered anger that God has made your life hard. 
And if you come to God with a sort of chip on your shoulder or you owed me a life that was pain and problem free, then you're not going to lament. You're just going to sin. Additionally, if you just linger in complaint and all your prayer does is just keeps laying out your grievance list of the things that God has done wrong to you, and it doesn't lead you to the conclusion of lament, which is trust. So lament's meant to lead us to a point where we're embracing truths that we know we should believe, but in the moment, grief maybe tempts us to not believe them, or they don't feel true in the moment. So lament should lead us to trust. And if lament isn't leading to trust, I would argue it's actually not biblical lament. So we have to be careful. You could use imprecatory psalms to simply express your bitterness to God about other people instead of using an imprecatory psalm to say, God, I want justice to be done for all of the right reasons. And this is really hard and I'm hurt by all of this. But so you do have to find balance and to be careful, like every good and rich concept or truth in the scriptures, it can be co-opted and used for sinful purposes. Man, all of that you just said, and I just, it makes me wish there was some kind of a course in lament <laughs> that that we could all go through when we are, when we just become a Christian. I feel like if I would have known some of these things early on, it really would have been so helpful to me as I walked through depression on a number of occasions to really understand the way to present those complaints in a God-honoring way that expresses both those poles of life is hard, but God is good, and I'm hurt. So your book has really helped to deepen my understanding of what lament is fundamentally. You explain it as a four-part process. I didn't really realize how intentional biblical lament was in terms of its design to help us turn toward God, to trust God as a reflex with our brokenhearted griefs. But you write what you said just a few moments ago, lament is a prayer in pain that leads to trust, and it helps us to transition between pain and promise. Would you spend a few moments breaking that down, just the general pattern of lament as we see it in the scriptures? Yeah, lament has generally four key elements, and I say generally because you know, the Psalms in particular uh, and the Book of Lamentations were, they were poems. In the case of Psalms, they were set to music. And as a result, you, you can't overly examine them through a linear lens. But think of it like four ingredients that you can at times mix up. And uh, each of these ingredients, to some extent, are present in all laments. So the first would be turning to God in prayer. And this is just a fundamental concept that uh, lament is a prayer. Uh, that means that I'm talking to God about my pain instead of allowing it to in, be internalized without some kind of expression. And also that I'm taking the risk of talking to God about the things that I'm struggling with. And in that respect, um, a lament is a great step of faith that we take when we're in pain, because pain tempts us to stop talking to God. We end up giving God the silent treatment because we're either so disappointed or we just are afraid to hope again by talking to him. So first is turning to God in prayer. Um, secondly is laying out our complaints. And we talked about that just a moment ago, but it essentially is I'm just telling God what's upsetting me. I'm laying out before him, God, this is what I'm burdened about. And if you look at the Psalms, you, you see this where like Psalm 13, the psalmist says, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? And so he, he's expressing, God, this is how I feel. Third, it's that we then ask boldly. So you take the promises of God, you reiterate them and ask God to act in accordance to what we know to be true about him 
and what the Word of God tells us about God. In fact, that's why Christians, of all people, ought to be very competent lamenters, because we're the people who know what God is like. Uh, We know the story of redemption, of creation, fall, redemption, restoration, and we know that the world is broken. So of anybody in the world, we ought to know how to lament. So ask boldly is the third. Then fourth is choose to trust. So this is where all laments lead. They lead to some kind of reaffirmation of trusting in God, hoping in him, and then also rejoicing in what God is is like. And this is not always a heartfelt, emotional, I'm really confident in who you are, God. This is a deeply convictional decision where In light of who God is and in light of what I've just shared, I'm going to choose to believe that you are still good. So turn, complain, ask, and trust. Those are the four key elements. One of the things you just mentioned was the concept of asking boldly. And when I read that chapter in your book, I hate to admit it, but it made me super uncomfortable because I think that's an area that I'm really timid in. Um, You share a story about a time a colleague prayed over you with great boldness and something about his confidence in God just really shook your soul and stirred you up. And I think asking boldly for myself is something that I tremble at, even though I know the reasons why we can approach the throne of grace with confidence. Can you offer some biblical encouragement to those of us who are perhaps timid or uncomfortable in exuding that kind of confidence when it comes to making requests of God? Yeah, I think the key is is that we're praying in accordance with um, the promises that we see in the scriptures. And so I, I can pray boldly when I see promises in God's word that his mercies are going to be new every morning. When I pray with confidence that God is never going to abandon me. And in Romans 8, that all things are working together for my good to make me more like Christ. And so I think our our hope and our confidence needs to be rooted not in how we feel. It needs to be rooted primarily in what we know is true. And as we rehearse what we know is true, it's so interesting to me how our feelings are more inclined, not all the time, but are more inclined to come in line as we rehearse promises that seem to be elusive. And there's something about rehearsing those promises and uh, praying boldly uh, that they, they 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 become near they they sit beside us and that's what my uh, friend Bernie did I, I knew that there was strength for me I just was helped by another brother praying it with the confidence that I didn't feel in that moment and I think that's what can happen when we pray with others which is one of the values of learning lament and how you can use it to help other people but it's also how we can use lament for our own souls where the Holy Spirit, by this prayer form, helps to remind us of things that we know are true, but sometimes they just don't feel very true. I think lament helps to reinforce what we know we believe. Well, even as we utilize lament as a spiritual discipline and as a way of processing our pains, we need to keep an internal perspective. And you touch on this in your book as well. You know, lament doesn't give us the key to unlock the door to immediate comfort or healing or problem resolutions. In fact, you explain that lament helps us to practice active patience, that we are constantly leaning on to lament as a means of endurance through the trials, however long they may last. And this is really where the rubber meets the road, so to speak, because it is hard to do. You even write that God is good, but life is hard. And there's really no better way to say it than that. It's hard for 
brokenhearted person to constantly surrender themselves to a sovereign creator when life simply is not making sense. Would you help us understand how the gospel of Jesus Christ really offers us hope and help for practicing active patience through lament? See, the challenge is, is that none, none of us like to wait. And um, I mean, and I get it. I, I don't like to wait. I don't like to wait for anything, especially when I'm waiting in pain. And what I'm trying to speak to is that waiting seems like it's a waste. It's just like there's nothing happening. And when the Book of Lamentation says it's good that one should wait quietly for the Lord, it's it is a season for us to remember that we came into a faith walk by trusting in God's purposes and trusting in His grace. And that's what suffering does, is it just reminds us that we have needed that grace applied to our lives far more fully than what we realized when things were easy and life was uh, like we expected. The other way that the, the gospel in particular helps us with active patience is to remind us that if you locate yourself in the story of the crucifixion and resurrection and put yourself between Good Friday and Resurrection Sunday, so a day after the crucifixion of Jesus, you could look at what happened to Jesus as an absolute tragedy and a total waste. And then just a few days later with the resurrection, now the whole plan of God is clear and the and the cross takes on an entirely different role or perspective that you now have because of where you're located in the story. And I think active patience is just reminding us that God is at work and someday, either in this life or in the next, it's going to be clear how all this was working out. And in the meantime, we can simply wait and trust and believing that isn't doing nothing. That waiting is a faith-filled step where we re-anchor ourselves in the hope that God is working all this out for our good, for the glory of Jesus. Now, those are really encouraging reminders. Thank you so much for sharing those. You know, I've had to learn the hard way, as you mentioned earlier in our conversation, that hope is not a feeling. And when I lost all feeling of hope a few years ago, I was so confused. I did not understand how in the world I could possibly feel such a thing as a Christian. I didn't grow up as a Christian. I was saved at the age of 28, and so I didn't know that that was even a possibility that you could be hopeless and a Christian, um, or at least feel hopeless, I guess I should say, and a Christian at the same time. It just didn't line up with what I knew to be true, and it really scared me. I thought that the Holy Spirit had packed up and left, even though I knew that was impossible. In your book, you write, Lament dares to hope while life is hard. What's the trouble with gauging our hope on emotional sentiment and feeling? How can lament help us to fight to cling to real biblical hope despite having lost all sense of it? It's a great question, and I think it speaks to where a lot of Christians struggle. And praise God, in your case, that didn't lead down to the next step, which is, hey, if I've lost all hope, then it must be that what I believe is, in fact, not true. And terribly, I've seen that happen with uh, people as they walk through difficulty. And what I think lament does is it gives us an example. It helps us to see that mature, godly Christians can feel two things at the exact same time. They, they can feel, I, I know that God is good, and yet in this moment, I don't see how he is good. And so like this distance between what they know and what they feel 
is sometimes really perplexing and really troubling. So in the case of my wife, for instance, after we found out that she had a blighted ovum, which was, um, you know, she goes in, doctor puts the ultrasound on her womb, has the exact same look on his face, and it turns out she has the home in her uterus that's built for a baby, but there's no embryo there. And, you know, we get in the car, and, I mean, it just feels like unbelievably tragic. And in that moment, she prayed, God, I, I know you're not mean, but it feels like it today. And I just think that's where real Christians live. We just don't talk about it, or we don't really identify that that's what it means to persevere. And when you hear words like this in Psalm 77, where the psalmist says, has God forgotten to be gracious? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Has he uh, in anger shut up his compassion? So he, he, he feels that. But then just a, a few verses later, he says, I will ponder all your work. I will remember your deeds, your way. O God is holy. What God is great like our God. So within just a few verses, he goes, God, have you forgotten to be gracious? And then he's like, no, God, you're a great God. And I think those two things, they just are realities in Christians' lives as they're walking through grief. I think that's how lament helps us. It gives us a language and an inspired one to say, this is what it really means to process difficulty. It's so comforting to know that God has equipped us in this way to to give us this, these instructions of how to bring our complaints to him in a in a righteous way, in a way that helps us to live in that tension, you know, the tension between those two poles. Mm-hmm. Um, I just I pray that God will continue to raise awareness about biblical lament. It's just, oh gosh, it just means so much to me. Um, like I said, if someone listening can be encouraged today by by having their eyes open to it, as you did years ago, um, and as I did while reading your book, I think just so much good fruit will come of that. Uh, I'd like to offer the brokenhearted Christian who is listening today some practical actions steps. And we like to do this in every episode to kind of boil down some, you know, next steps they can take if they find themselves facing the type of challenges that we're discussing. Can you offer some practical steps for that particular person to attend to their spiritual needs during this season of grief and sorrow, as well as some practical steps for attending to their physical needs? In terms of the spiritual needs, uh, for sure, I think that they ought to read some laments so they understand uh, what the prayer language sounds like in the in the Bible, because I think they'll resonate with the, the phrases, the words, to be greatly comforted. Uh, the other thing is in the, the back of the book, I identify and provide kind of a structure of taking that turn, complain, ask, trust, studying a lament psalm, looking for those four key categories, and then writing your own lament Uh, prayer in light of what you've just read in the Bible. And in doing so, it grounds your prayer time both in the scripture and also gives you a freedom to pray with an honest sort of gutsiness that you would find uh, in the scriptures. And as I've led grieving people through that exercise, oh, it's been so incredibly helpful and life-giving. I've even, I mean, I've used it multiple times in my own life when I'm wrestling with a uh, particular uh, sorrow. And then I think also just getting together with um, other people who are in your community of um, just either a small group or a Bible study, sharing with them just kind of what you're learning uh, with uh, lament. And if it's possible to be able to do it in a community setting, that's 
that's when lament takes on even a, a richer development in the uh, the process of helping you to, to heal, which is, is not an easy, easy journey at all. You know, in terms of just physically, I've just found it really helpful. Um, certain locations for me were refreshing um, and not the same for my wife. So it was refreshing to me to walk through the graveyard where our daughter was buried and it wasn't for my wife, Sarah, at all. I would find myself just kind of wanting to go and uh, spend some time with the Lord to find a kind of a regular rhythm or a particular friend that seemed to be um, unusually uh, helpful and just some time with them was not only restful spiritually, but even restful physically. I also think, too, it's just physically exhausting, the battle with sorrow. And so finding ways to um, just be sure that you're getting enough rest. And uh, it's amazing how the Bible says uh, your mercies are new every morning. Uh, There's sometimes I went to bed at night just thinking there is no way I'm going to have hope tomorrow (laughs) and wake up and the Lord would uh, would provide that. And then also just realizing that things are seasonal, meaning uh, one of the fear factors of grief and sorrow is thinking, man, I feel like this today. What do I feel like tomorrow? And just realizing that grief can be like the waves of the sea. They kind of roll in and they can roll out. And you don't know always when it's going to roll in and roll out. And so not panicking about what you're feeling spiritually, even physically, and just giving yourself some grace that you'll, you'll heal in time. And not everybody heals in the exact same amount of time. Well, those are really great suggestions. Thank you for offering those to our audience. I want to close out the show the same way we do every single episode, by offering you an opportunity to talk directly to the audience. So there may be someone listening to this episode who currently is limping with a broken heart. Whatever kind of sorrow or grief they are facing, it has brought overwhelming and confusing feelings. The emotions swell up at the drop of a dime. They're angry about what has happened. They relive moments in time they wish they never would have even seen. You know, maybe they even feel like a small and wounded bird with a broken wing. What would you say to that bruised, broken heart to give them courage to believe that there is hope and help to be found through lament? You know, I would tell them that Psalm 13 gives voice to what we feel when we're walking through difficult moments. And I would encourage this brokenhearted person just to hear the, the, the poignant words that say, how long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long will my enemy be exalted? So there's an exhaustion that is so common to grief. And yet the psalmist says, consider and answer me, O Lord. Says, I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart will rejoice in your salvation. I will sing because the Lord has dealt bountifully with me. And as hard as hard is, and it's tough, as deep as our sorrows can be, there is no place that Jesus can't get to with his grace. And lament is part of the spiritual means. Think of it like a a portal, if you will, through which God's able to pour out really special grace upon us. And so I'd want a hurting, sorrowful person to know that Jesus understands that the Bible is as honest as what you want to be and use the language of lament to lead you from where you are to where you need to be, from living in a life that's very difficult to continually trusting in God's sovereignty and through the language of lament, you're able to, to walk a difficult pathway as God gives you grace to be able to make it faithfully all the way to the end. 
Well, those are really just encouraging words um, to to someone who is going through a, a season of grief and sorrow. So thank you for that. Mark, I would love to give you the opportunity to share where the audience can connect with you. If they're interested in learning more about your writing ministry, what, what kind of platforms, where can they find you online? What are the links to those places? Sure. Well, first and foremost, I'm the pastor, happy pastor of a church in Indianapolis, so College Park Church, and our website there is yourchurch.com. We have all kinds of uh, resources there from myself and others who are part of our church ministry. On a personal side, I uh, blog at markvrogup.com. So that's Mark and then my last name, V-R-O-E-G-O-P.com. And then also folks can follow me on uh, Twitter at, at markvrogup. And also um, the book is available on all kinds of platforms, including Amazon. It's Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy, Discovering the Grace of Lament. Thank you so much, Mark, for sharing that information with the audience. I will be sure to link to all of those profiles in the show notes. And so we will be sure the audience has access to that information and especially to the book. I could not recommend it more highly. And at the risk of sounding like I'm trying to flatter you, I have only three books four books that I turn to on a regular basis uh, to really give me comfort when I'm feeling sorrowful or uh, grieved. And your book is a new addition to that exclusive group for me. So I just, I can't thank you enough for just sharing your experiences, how God has comforted you in your, in your trials and in your suffering so that people like me and people like the audience can benefit. Well, thank you, Christine. That was the reason I wrote the book. When I sent the manuscript in, my wife and I prayed, Lord, just help somebody with this. So glad it's been helpful to you and pray it is to others also. Before we let you go, I'd like to remind you to visit faithfulsparrow.com forward slash project. There you can check out the show notes from today's episode, complete with links to Pastor Mark's book and website. If you've enjoyed today's conversation, I would be so thankful if you left a review for the show on whatever podcast platform you're listening on. Be sure to subscribe to be notified when new weekly episodes release. Also, please don't keep the Hope and Help Project a secret. If you know someone who could be encouraged by listening to this episode, please do them a favor by sharing it. One more thing, if you're looking for gospel hope and help for life's challenging problems, visit faithfulsparrow.com forward slash email. I send my email subscribers weekly biblical counseling resources on rotating topics. From videos, audios, articles, and recommended reading, these emails are designed to equip you to discover gospel hope and help in your own life. Thanks so much for listening to today's show. Be sure to join us next time on the Hope and Help Project.